0: song, right? God forgave our sins in Jesus name. I've been born again in Jesus name. And in Jesus name, I came to you to go tell people what I've shown you basically. And freely, freely, you received everything you have, but you're not a, um, you're not the dead sea. Wasn't meant to be beautiful truth and water that flowed into your life. It's most it's meant to flow through your life, right? Freely, freely you have received. Now open up the channels, the floodgates, and freely, freely uh, give. That song, of course, came, uh, has so loaded with special uh, meaning and, and memories for me and for Debbie and for many of us, and it was music, it, it really it was music that came from the kind of the... Um, the genesis of modern Christian music, actually Maranatha Music in uh, in Southern California, and actually a place called Costa Mesa, California, and how many of you have seen the Jesus Revolution? Uh, I have not, we have not, but we lived it, we were there, and um, yes, I'm that old, but anyway, um, it it is a movie that's now on Netflix, you can still get it there and watch uh, this movement of the Spirit of God uh, pour into Southern California and Costa Mesa. We used to just call it Costa, and um, and it was a uh, little church. I don't want to, uh, spoiler alert, I'll shut up right now, but watch it, and I'm told by people even this morning, it's a really outstanding movie, but the Jesus Revolution is really, um, the music of that revolution was Maranatha music, and uh then there's no getting away from that. It's really powerful truth. Uh, Perhaps you already knew when we sang it with such meaning that it's more than a song. It's actually words that Jesus spoke, just put to music. And my Bible's open to those words right now in Matthew chapter 10. You want to just take a quick peek You can see that he actually spoke these words after we've talked about this recently. He looks upon a crowd, and they were he he was bothered by what he saw. It's like you and me going to a sports event, maybe um, you know the Hillsboro Hops baseball. You look out there and people are wildly cheering for the Hops, but Jesus, if he were there, might have a different look on his face. This is an example like that, because. Jesus looked at the crowd at the end of chapter 9, and he sees something that nobody else saw, that they were uh, oppressed, distressed, and downcast, the, the, the text says. And they were like sheep, finish my sentence, without a shepherd. And who was and who is the great shepherd? Jesus. John 10 tells us that. So you have... This sense of Jesus that these people need something, and I am that something, but they don't even know it. And and so Jesus, after that experience at the end of Matthew chapter 9 and chapter 10, he says to his disciples, there were 12, I've got some things for you to do, and I'm going to send you out to do it. And he still says that today. I'm reading from verse 7, as you go, as you go out. Proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. The king is here. Heal the sick. Raise the dead. Cleanse those who have a skin disease known as leprosy. And drive out demons. What a power move, right? Then he says at the end of verse 8, Freely, freely you have received. Freely. Freely give. Six incredibly inspiring uh, words that are meant to empower the listener. They're meant to empower us um, that in everything we as, let's just say, we're part of the widened circle of disciples, everything that we say and do in Jesus' name, Those words are meant to remind us, you got it freely, give it freely. Say it with me. You got it freely, give it freely. Let's go personal. I got it freely, I'll give it freely. See how it works? And that's Jesus' intent here. Um, And those six words, um, nothing is more difficult. To get freely, that's easy. But to give freely, that's hard when it comes to forgiveness. There's a hush in the room for a reason. Because you are, I think, somewhat like me, maybe in every way like me. You have holdbacks. You say, yeah, but. But. Some won't listen from this point on. You're glazing over and part of you has a, maybe the the idea of forgiveness is a trigger for you that says I can't do it and I won't. I know the mountain's tall. I I do. Um, uh, Most difficult thing we are called to say and do as Christians, to say and do, I forgive you. Uh, Why? Why is it so difficult? I just kind of sat and stared at that question. Really not wanting to deliver anything to you yet. It was really a question I had. I could have you show hands, but you'd say the same thing. That's, That's Mount Everest in my life. Not in every way, not in every case, but I got one. I get it. So why? Why is that? Because, listen to this, when someone sins against you, and we all could raise our hands and, and say, that's, that's happened to me. The pain is personal. It is. And the hurt is unfair. You could say, and you would be accurate in saying, many of you, I did not deserve that. This is not a Galatians 6, 7, I'm reaping what I sowed. No, that, did not, that does not tell the story in this case. So it's, it's the pain you feel is personal, the hurt is incredibly unfair, and the injury goes deep. I'm not talking about, I got, we're taking down trees, doing all kinds of things in the yard right now. And I've just, I look like I was in a fight. And I was. Um, but I got new bumps and scrapes. They're superficial, though. Can you see it? Probably not. It's not that big a deal either. And here's one more for you. This kind of pain where someone sins against you, in a lot of cases, you don't see it either. I don't see yours either. But it's there and it's real. But the difference is it's deep. It's really deep. Uh, I want us to take a peek at some of the most I'm going to call them what they were for me, okay? Jolting words found in Jesus' epic sermon. There is no better sermon, and you have to back up the bus five chapters to chapter 5, 6, and 7, which make up the spread that it took in the Bible to cover the Sermon on the Mount. I want you to stop in chapter 6, okay? So I just give you a point of reference. You've heard that sermon label, the Sermon on the Mount. It covers Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And in my estimation, if uh, you're not sure what to read in the Bible, go there. And you won't hear a preacher like me. You'll hear somebody that at the end of this sermon, everybody said, oh, my goodness. You're better than any preacher I have ever heard. Jesus, you, your words ring so true, and it says there at the end, you have such insight, such – I'm reading – Chapter 7 at the end, when the sermon was done and he set down the mic, if, so to speak. You would have been one in the crowd that went, I can't even put words to it. I gotta, I gotta They didn't have recordings then. I got to hear that one again. And right here in the middle is where the words that I want us to look at, that Jesus wants us to look at, are in bold print. They are jolting words. I want to warn you on the front end. Um, and they explain how to pray. Jesus is dealing with practical things. How many of you have wondered at times, is prayer really working? Is, are my prayers? Have you wondered that? If you wondered how to pray, raise your hand. If you wondered how, what's the effective way to pray? Well, we're not the only ones that have our hands in the air. The disciples did. They said, verse 9, show us how you should pray. You're a praying man, Jesus. Help us become praying people. This is then how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. And forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And most of us, because we've memorized this, have added what was a part of later manuscripts of this prayer. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. New International does not include that, but it does so at the bottom in the margin. Okay, so there is the model Prayer, all right? Beautiful words from what what has come to be known as the Lord's Prayer. Verse 12 happens so fast that most of us miss the jolt this morning. Look at it as I read it again. And forgive us our debts as we also... Have been forgiven our debts. Forgive me as I forgive others is the correct way to read this. That's what we're seeing, and um, it's a big deal. Am I really? Let me ask you the question that I sat there and I, maybe, maybe Judy heard me outside in her office, but am I really okay? Are you really okay, Steve? Praying verse 12. We, most of us said, Forgive us our debts, forgive us our sins as we forgive, forgive those who have sinned against us. We've said it. Some versions say our trespasses. That's a big one. Same deal. Are you really okay? Let me me get, this will bring it into focus for us. How forgiven would I be if God forgave me, you know where I'm going, the way I forgive others? That's a bone in my throat. Uh, and apparently, apparently, Jesus was not kidding and not exaggerating. Otherwise, how would you explain what I didn't read in the next two verses? Chapter 5, or chapter 6, but verses 14 and 15. For if you forgive others, interesting, he circles back to verse 12. If you forgive other people when they sin against you, Your heavenly Father will also forgive you. Verse 15, but if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. I will not be the preacher that says that was hard to hear, uncomfortable to the core, so I better soften it. There's voices out there that would say, well, you know, it didn't really mean what you think it means in the obvious reading. I'm not going to go there. And you'll see why. Uh, C.S. Lewis was spot on. He observed this. To be a Christian means to forgive the inexcusable because God has forgiven the inexcusable in you. Um, It's so easy to notice it in that person and forget it in this person. We're not going to go there this morning, but you really do need to read the story in Matthew 18. And it's a uh, verse 21. It's in your notes at the bottom to verse 35. Really, really good. And it frames exactly more of this. And it's a story. It's a parable that Jesus taught about forgiveness. So you need to go there. So it means to forgive the inexcusable. That, that's what being a Christian means. To forgive what people did to you that was inexcusable because God forgave the inexcusable in your sin and what you have done. That means the horizontal meets the vertical. Right there. They do. They come together. And to not let them come together is to settle for hypocrisy. It is. It's to go freely, freely. You have received. Let's go home. (laughs) Right? (laughs) uh. I was uh, in seminary... um, a long time ago, I went golfing with one of my professors um, around grade time. <laughs> so, yeah, you're right. Um, Any way to soften him up around grade time, right? Um, as we played, I asked him a question. Hey, Neil, what, what uh, you know, my future is in the pulpit, I think. I think God's calling me there. What would, what would be the one, you know, you had one crack in the pulpit. What would you, what would you preach on? Forgiveness, before I got the words out, forgiveness. That's what he said. And um, then he added this, which kind of made me, well, he added these words. Most of the ground Satan gains in the lives of Christians is due to unforgiveness. And I did what you just did. I stopped in the middle of the fairway. You're stopping in the middle of my sermon, and you're thinking, so the devil's playground is my unforgiveness. Is that what you're saying, Pastor? And I think uh, that's what Neil told me. And I I mean, right there in the fairway, his words completely threw off my golf game. I know there were other reasons, but... Um, I want to I want to frame it for you. I worked really hard on these words, so let me let me state them for us. Okay? Satan wants me and you to feel forgiven while ignoring Jesus words. If you do not forgive others, you read them already, so did I. Because we'd like to say, well, if Jesus sort of meant if you do not forgive others, I understand, man, it's pretty hard to do anyway. No, that is not what Jesus said. Verse 15, again, if you do not forgive others, your father won't forgive you. At the very least, however we land on a discussion about what that might or might not mean, at the very least, can you agree, can I agree, that that would create a problem in my relationship with my father? That's got to be something we can embrace. You might theologically say, no, no, you know, we're sealed, and that's true. Ephesians 1, Ephesians 4. So I've got different voices I could speak to this right now. But I want to stay with just this one voice. What did Jesus say? Um, I want to r- remind you of something that Jesus also said about the devil. Okay, and um, he actually, uh, sometimes I say he pulls the curtain back. He went like this. Whew, when he said, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. The thief In that sentence, in John 10, verse 10, is Satan. And Jesus, in one, says, let me tell you what Satan is up to. And it's like something that was hidden from view, and that's frankly where the devil wants to keep it. No, no, don't listen to Steve right now. Get good and distracted, and you'll miss all of this. That's his hope. The hope won't happen because the Holy Spirit says, listen to God's word. You need to know you have an adversary, the devil. That means an opponent, someone that's opposed to you and wants, as his end game, to steal, kill, and destroy. Does anybody need to know steal what, kill who, destroy how? No. You just know those are not words you want to invite into your kitchen and have dinner with your family, right? That's me. I don't want that. I don't want him to steal, kill, and destroy. And contrast that with Jesus' words in the second half of that statement. He says, but I came to give life and abundance. Amen. You, uh, uh, how does the devil steal, kill, and destroy? But I'm going to say that's a good study for all of us. You could come up with lots of reasons, but I don't think um, anybody can come up with a more um, effective tool that the devil, that Satan is using to steal, kill, and destroy than unforgiveness. I really think that's the truth of what God's saying to us. Um, and if we refuse to forgive, we have what the Bible describes as a seedbed of Bitterness. Bitterness steals, kills, and destroys. Hebrews 12 reads this way. Um, these are all in your in your notes. Make every effort to live in peace with everyone. <laughs> I was followed uh, down the street coming to worship this morning by somebody that um, I have no idea who they are, but I should because they were maybe six inches from my bumper, <laughs> and I thought it's a it was a little car, and I thought at the very least pay attention to a vehicle that's three times your weight, my truck, and if I just happen to hit the brake hard, um, this won't go well with you, and I remember thinking you know what you you are. You're you're. Uh, I said, Lord, I don't need that person in my rearview I don't need them to do that. And I'm thinking, you know, it just ticks me off. And I was not at peace with somebody I never met. And it's thought, whoa. Lord, help that person drive better. So, okay. <laughs> um, so back to Hebrews, Hebrews 12, verse 14. Make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy. Without holiness, why is that a big deal? Because you won't see the Lord, he says. Not done quoting. See to it. That's always there meant to tell you and me, I don't care your age or stage in life, you can do this. So see to what? See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God. He would not say that unless it was a possibility. That no one falls short of the grace of God and that no, here's why, bitter root grows up to cause you to stumble and defile, be be defiled. Did you know bitterness has roots? It's not an insight. It's a truth. If you're taking down trees, you know about roots. We know big roots right now. Um, But plants. And and bitterness has roots. Roots that begin as something really small, actually. It's a seedling. And it's got little roots, but they're underground. You don't see them. And they're really little. They're not that big a deal. If you pulled that seedling, they'll, they'd probably come out with roots and all. But they get bigger because they grow. And forgiveness removes the weed of bitterness. Get this. <laughs> at the root, at the root. I have a habit of seeing a weed I don't like. I just knock it off. I use my weed whacker, and it's gone. Is it? No. Got to get the root. Um, Another professor of mine at a second seminary, um, Lewis Smead's showed, I think, incredible insight on something that maybe you've heard traces of this statement. It came from him when he described this systemic effect, not of bitterness, but of forgiveness. What happens when we do forgive as we've been forgiven? His words, the first and often only person to be healed by forgiveness is the person who does the forgiveness. In Jesus' word, as we have forgiven our debtors, Smeed says that that person that forgives his or her debtor is the person that is, well, healed by the act of forgiving. When we genuinely forgive, Smeed concludes, we set a prisoner free. Free. And then we discover that the prisoner who was set free is me. Can you get an amen? Is that just like, huh? I've forgiven some people recently. This isn't back when I was in seminary. This is recently. And I, and, and I hope I'm not bearing too much. You wouldn't know these people. But um, it's like this load lifted. I just like, huh? Like, like uh, Zazo in Lion King. Huh? Huh? I'm alive. I'm alive. And I'm free. Man, that's a good one. Um, and indeed, those whom the sun sets free, John 8 tells us, will be free and truly free. Free indeed. It's beautiful. So in every aspect of Jesus' life, he is the example um, of how to live. We get that. We understand. That's why we focus on Jesus all the time. Um, And he was the one that said, actually, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, John 14, 6. So when it comes to forgiveness, do you see my simple connection here? When it comes to forgiveness, how he forgave uh, shows us how to forgive. So I just want to leave you with two thoughts. Under the heading, forgiveness, Jesus' way. Okay? You ready for them? The first one, we've talked a lot about it already, but Jesus forgave freely, yet at great personal cost. He forgave freely and he paid for it dearly. See the difference here? He took the hit for us. That's why communion's so significant on a Sunday with this topic on our minds. He took the hit for us. It was apparently very hard to do. Which explains Jesus words moments before the cross as he contemplated the cost in front of him to make it possible to forgive you and me. Prayed Jesus, not once or twice, three times, and presumably that meant multiple times. He said, if it's possible, Father, he's talking to his Father, take this cup from me. Why would he say that? I'm going to tell you, I think, why. It was hard. I think it was scary. I think it, he knew it was incredibly costly. I, can, I pay money for lots of things, and oftentimes I say, that's a lot of money. That's, that's expensive, inflation. Do you know what? There's no cost greater than my own life. And that's the cost Jesus knew. It would be very costly. Forgiveness, then, isn't sentimentalism like saying you're sorry. Hey, I'm sorry. Uh, And usually we say, I didn't mean it. I'm sorry, that's a step toward forgiveness. I didn't mean it means, okay, did I get the words out? Come on. I've done it. I know it. It's an act of the will that says forgiveness, biblical Jesus forgiveness is an act of the will that says, I forgive you whether you're sorry or not. It's freely. He forgave freely at a great personal cost. So so must we, all of us. And secondly, quick principles, he forgave fully. Fully. He held no grudges and the Bible repeats, repeatedly says he remembers our sins no more. In fact, I love Micah the prophet, chapter 7, verse 9. He actually says he took our sins and Threw them in a shallow pond? <laughs> no. The ocean. Now, you could say, if you're a cynic or a critic, you could say, well, yeah, he 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 threw them there, but he knows where they are. And you'd be right. He of course he knows where they are. He's he's omniscient, he knows all things. So to say, Steve, are you sure God forgave? your sins, and remembers them no more? Does he somehow etch a sketch, go this way every day and get rid of it? No. What's going on here? Is it forgetfulness? No. doesn't forget what we did, but he will never go fishing for it and bring it back up and say, hey, dude, you're doing it again. Nuh-uh. Not going to happen. I can't erase the past. Either what I've done or what others have done to me. And neither can you. But I can choose, empowered by Jesus' forgiveness of me, to let it go. And so can you. Can I say that again? You will need. You will not succeed in forgiving. It will come back. It will say, I'm back. And I'm going to stay back. And I'm going to keep haunting you. I'm going to keep stealing, killing, and destroying. Because that's what the devil wants. So when you forgive, I'm not just talking in that moment. But a month later. Or an anniversary of what that person did to you. Or the smell of somebody's uh, cologne or perfume that was part of a marriage that failed horribly, and you just... It's just this trigger. I, uh, it's all there. A song that used to be our song, but it's not our song anymore. And then accidentally, somehow you hear it. See? And in those moments and every moment in between, you are uh, the only way you'll succeed in forgiving is empowered by the m- reminder of the cross, what Jesus did to set you free, to forgive you fully. And that's what we want to do this morning. If there's, if there's unforgiveness, let's not leave here the same. I'd like you to bow your heads if you would this morning. Through forgiveness, God tears down the walls, people. He does. And they're walls that we have built. We know about them. I'm going to ask, the lights are going to come down for you and me to really be able to, to take in some time that we're done early this morning in, in the message part of our morning. But there's some movement part that needs to happen in our hearts. And and they begin with um, uh, the walls that are in the way of moving forward freely, fully. Um, Forgiveness may be described as a decision. Imagine standing on the deck of a ship out in the deep ocean. Not near the shore where the analogy is lost, but out deep. Fathoms and fathoms. Deep. And you're standing on that deck of the ship and you're symbolically um releasing something, throwing something that's weighty. And the moment it hits the water, it sinks. And there's nothing to stop it from sinking to the bottom of the ocean. Uh, Forgiveness can be described as a decision at at that time and in the days to come. When you think of what you did on the deck of that ship, that day or what you did in this worship service when the spirit of God came upon us and said let it go leave it empowered by what I did Steve let it go leave it I've done so for you Your sins are at the bottom of the same ocean. Dump the rest. And doing so will mean a few practical things. It's you making a decision and promises that say I will not dwell on this incident. And I will... Secondly, not bring up this incident again and use it against them. And thirdly, I will not talk about this incident with anyone else. And finally, I will not let this incident stand between me and my relationship with God and if the Holy Spirit were to move in that person's heart even in the way of a possible breakthrough there. So forgive as Jesus forgave freely and fully and leave the results to God there's a couple of songs to help you in this moment take the steps forward that the Holy Spirit wants us to take as that is happening you can meet with the Holy Spirit right where you're seated or you can make your way down there are pillows in the front near the platform here and and it's a quiet place it's close to music these songs will be played the first one is "I lead me to the cross and um, may the forgiveness that you receive freely be extended by you even in this moment as you forgive others. So come to the cross, lay your unforgiveness down and leave bitterness there in these moments to come as the Holy Spirit touches us deeply.